0: The Lord be with you. And also you. Let us pray. O oh God, whose Son Jesus Christ is the good shepherd of your people, grant that when we hear his voice, we may know him who calls us each by name and follow where he leads. Who with you and the Holy Spirit lives and reigns one God forever and ever. Amen. reading from the ninth chapter of Nehemiah this morning. Now, on the 24th day of this month, the people of Israel were assembled with fasting and in sackcloth with earth on their heads. And the Israelites separated themselves from all foreigners and stood and confessed their sins and iniquities of their fathers. And they stood up in their place and read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a quarter of the day. For another quarter of it, they made confession and worshiped the Lord their God. You are the Lord, you alone. You have made heaven the heaven of heavens with all their host, the earth and all that is on it, the seas that, and all that is in them, and you preserve all of them, and the host of heaven worships you. You are the Lord, the God who chose Abram and brought him out of the Ur of the Chaldeans and gave him the name Abraham. You found his heart faithful before you and made him the covenant to give to his offspring the land of the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Perizzite, the Jebusite, and the Girgashite. And you have kept your promise, for you are righteous. And you saw the afflictions of our fathers in Egypt and heard the cry at the Red Sea and performed signs and wonders against Pharaoh and all his servants and all the people of his land, for you knew that they acted arrogantly against our fathers. And you made a name for yourself, as it is to this day. And you divided the sea before them so that they went through the midst of the sea on dry land. And you cast their pursuers into their depths as a stone into mighty waters. By a pillar of cloud you led them in the day, and by a pillar of fire in the night to light for them the way in which they should go. You came down on Mount Sinai and spoke to them from, the heaven, from heaven and gave them the right rules and true laws, good statutes and commandments. And you made known to them your holy Sabbath and commanded them commandments and statutes and a law by Moses your servant. You gave them bread from heaven for their hunger, and you brought water for them out of the rock for their thirst. And you told them to go in to possess the land that you had sworn to give them. The word of the Lord.
1: a reading from the book of Acts. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists rose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers... And Parmaeus and Nicolaus, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. The word of the Lord. This is
2: the holy gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. John. Glory Glory to you, Lord Christ. Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice the gospel of the Lord. Praise
3: to you, Lord Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful. Thankful for your word. Thankful, Lord, for the joy it is to hear the teachings of Jesus. Pray come Holy Spirit and apply um, these teachings to our lives. May we not just be hearers of the word, uh, but doers. And We acknowledge we need your help uh, to do so. So we thank you, Lord, and we ask that you would um, shepherd us um, this morning. We ask this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Be seated. So in the ninth chapter of the Gospel of John, um, it begins, Jesus is walking uh, with his disciples, and they see a man who was born blind, right? They know this about uh, the man. And so the disciples ask Jesus a question, a question that um, demonstrates some bad theology on their part. Because they say, "Who caused this man's blindness? Was it his sin um, that somehow he committed before he was born, or is it the sin of his parents?" And Jesus replies, correcting their um, bad theology: "Neither. Right? It's that the works of God may be made known through this man." And then he goes to the blind man. He spits on the ground in front of him. He makes mud. He rubs the mud on the blind man's eyes. We don't know what the blind man thought of this, uh, but Jesus tells him, go and wash in the pool of Siloam. The blind man goes, he washes, and suddenly he can see. Right? And people see this man who they know was born blind. They see that he can see. They begin to debate um, in front of him. Is this the man who was born blind or was it someone else? The blind man speaks up and says, uh, I know the story. It's me. And yes, I can see. I was blind and I can see. They're amazed by this. There's confusion around this. How could this possibly um, be the case? They bring him uh, to the Pharisees, to the religious leaders. Right? And at this point, we, re- we learn in the account um, that this has taken place on the Sabbath, and so the religious leaders are concerned that a man uh, was healed on the Sabbath, and so they try to figure out what happened. Was this man genuinely healed? And they are sure that the one who healed them, G- the one who healed him, Jesus, must be a sinner. Right? This is further proof that Jesus is a sinner because he healed the man on the Sabbath. As they're trying to figure out um, this again, talking about the man in front of him, they eventually ask him, "What do you think?" And he says, "I believe." He's a prophet. They go to the man's parents to find out was he truly born blind? Is this truly the man who was born blind that now sees? Is this a genuine miracle? His parents say yes, he was born blind. Other than that, we have no comment. Right? They're terrified that right? if they say anything positive about Jesus, if they even acknowledge the healing that took place, they could get kicked out of the, the synagogue, which is. A horrible thing to happen to someone at that time. To be kicked out of the synagogue is to lose influence and connection and community. Is basically to become an outcast in that community. So the Pharisees, again, go back to the blind man to understand what happened to him. To understand how he was healed. They continue to insist that Jesus is a sinner. But the more questions they ask about Jesus, the, the blind man finally says to them, Look, do you want to be his disciple? You're so curious about him. This fills them full of rage and anger that he would dare suggest that they would want to become a disciple of Jesus. But the blind man says this to them. He says, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where Jesus comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. What is the Pharisees' response to him? They answer, you were born in utter sin. Disciples aren't the only ones with bad theology, right? They know, even though the blind man has been healed, they still are sure. You were born in utter sin, right? And you would teach us. And they cast him out of the synagogue. We are then told that Jesus hears the blind man has been cast out. Jesus finds him and says, do you believe in the son of man? The blind man, the formerly blind man, I shouldn't call him the blind man, but I'll continue to call him that because we don't know his name, but he's the formerly blind man. He says, who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus says to him, you have seen him. It's it's me who's speaking to you. And the blind man worships him. And Jesus then says these words, he says, for judgment, I came into this world that those who do not see may see and those who see may become blind. We're told then that there's some Pharisees who are nearby who heard him. Perhaps these are the same Pharisees or at least part of that group that have thrown the blind man out of the synagogue. And they say, are we also blind? And Jesus says to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, we see your guilt remains. And then we have John 10, 1 through 10. Now, I give that long um, introduction and background, because as we read John 10 and the 10th chapter of John, we want to be clear, there's no um, chapter headings in the original manuscript that, that John wrote and that the original Christians read, right? And so we read chapter 10, and we're like, oh, new story, right? New moment. But, but I want to be clear, actually, as we read Jesus's teachings in John 10, this is part of the story of the healing of the blind man. It all runs together. Matter of fact, when you hear Jesus saying, truly, truly, I say to you, right, he's always building on something he said before, right? He says that a lot. He's building on what he said before. And what he's just said, actually, to the Pharisees is, actually, if you were blind, it would be better. If you you admitted your sinfulness and your need for me, it would be better. The fact that you say you can see, that's a problem. And then he goes on to say to this, right, he who does not enter by the sheepfold by the door, but climbs another way, that man is a thief and a robber. You see the connection, right? He's making it very clear. I'm saying to you all that you're thieves and robbers. All right, so I want to consider this teaching today. I want to consider it in that context, and I want to kind of imagine us being there, right? This teaching, again, is given. People are amazed. This blind man has been healed, Right? There are Pharisees that are there who are not happy about what has happened. Amazingly, they're not happy about the fact that a blind man has been healed. The disciples are there. They've been watching this. They've been seeing this. How do each of them hear this teaching of Jesus's? How, based on sort of what they've experienced and the perspective they have, what may be in this teaching is especially for them? I want to ask that to ask, you know, what hit homes for us today? What perhaps in this is, is, is for us as we try to imagine, what would the crowds have heard in this teaching? What would the Pharisees have heard in this teaching? What would the disciples have heard? So kind of let's take the teaching from those different perspectives. First of all, let's again think about the crowds, right? They've seen um, Jesus heal this man. They've, they've known, right, what's going on. Again, this is probably, you know, everyone knows he just got kicked out of the synagogue. People have seen now the blind men actually worship Jesus and affirm his faith in him. And then they hear this teaching. And my guess would be that the first thing, and actually we're told this in the passage, the first thing that the, this, the crowds are thinking probably is, why is he talking about shepherds? Why is he talking about thieves and robbers and sheep? Like, well, what does that have to do? Like, we just saw a blind man healed. Uh, the blind man believes he's the Messiah. Why is this man, this teacher, this Messiah, supposed Messiah, why is he talking about sheep? Right? We're told, right? And that they didn't understand what was going on. And perhaps they even thought like, Okay, what he's saying, like, we know this, like, we know about shepherds and sheep. If you've heard stories from the Middle East, um, I've heard many um, still today, right? You can see, right, shepherds call their sheep out of a huge group of sheep, and their sheep recognize their voice and come to them, right? There are many accounts of this, right? Shepherds sometimes have a special song that they sing, even, that will call the sheep to follow them. So they're probably saying, okay, we know this, we know sheep, recognize the shepherd's voice, we know that, you know, they won't follow strangers. What's the point? And then Jesus makes clear, we get to verse 7. So Jesus again said to them, right, I'm actually talking about myself here. Truly, truly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. Which probably they thought, okay, what does that mean? Right? What does it mean that he is the door? But he follows up, verse 8 All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I guess at this point things start to click. Okay, all who came before me are thieves and robbers. He's talking about the Pharisees. He's talking about the religious leaders, and they are the thieves and the robbers in this story. And he's saying that he's the shepherd. He's the one who calls sheep by their name and they recognize them. He's the one who cares for the sheep. And then he emphasizes again, verse 9 I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and he will go in and find pasture. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Okay, so he's saying he's the source of salvation, that he's the one who brings life. The disciples in their bad theology were actually close to right theology, which is often the case with bad theology. They were trying to figure out, right, what was the specific sin that this man or his parents committed that caused him to be born blind, right? And Jesus makes it clear, no, that's not how this works, right? It's not because of some specific sin that he committed that he was born blind. But it is true that sin leads to blindness, and sin leads to disability, and sin leads to the fallenness of this world, or it leads to brokenness. right? And the fact is each one of us have a condition that grows out of sin, right? We die. The wages of sin are death. And Jesus is basically saying to the crowds, if the crowds have ears to hear, look, I came for this blind man so that he may see. But actually, I have come for each one of you. As each one of you have a condition that needs healing, which is that you are going to die. Right? But I have come to bring life and life abundantly. Each one of you has a condition that you are separated from God because of your sin. Right? You, you, you experience a broken relationship with the Lord, but I have come to save you. I've come to actually bring you into pastures where you can know eternal life with the Lord. So the message for them is, look, what you just saw with your own eyes, it happened to the blind man. I actually am bringing that to you, right? You may not be physically blind, but you are spiritually blind, right? You may not again feel your disability, but you have one because you were going to die. And I am bringing life, life abundantly. So again, as we place ourselves in the crowds, right, we can think, all oh, right, this isn't just a story about a blind man, it's a story for us. It's about our need. And it's the fact that Jesus is the door. He is the way of salvation. He is the way of life, abundant life, right? What a picture of eternal life. It's life that's so abundant, it overcomes death and alas, past death into all eternity. But this abundant life, right, the vision that Jesus is giving for abundant life is more than just, this is the, the guarantee, the promise that when you die, there is life to come, right? There is the eternal life on the other side of death. But this is also, again, a, a vision, a promise for abundant life, for free life now, for a life of freedom and a life of abundance beginning at this moment. And again, as we read this in context, and we think, what does that look like? What does freedom in life now look like? What does abundance in Christ look like at this moment? We have a great example, right? In the blind man. I'm struck when Jesus says the blind man, you know, was born blind or that the works of God may be seen in him. Certainly, right, that's his healing, right? The miraculous healing that he's given sight. But I think it's also actually the work of God of this is what it looks like to know freedom in Christ. And right? we see that in the blind man. This is what it looks like to know new life in Christ, to know abundance in him. Because what do we see happen, right? I mean, the blind man sees, right? I mean, that's amazing. We see him actually set free from the shame that he's lived under, right? I mean, imagine, right? Again, the disciples are speculating, was it his sin? Imagine living a life like that where people constantly looking at you and think, what sin did you commit? What awful thing did you do? What awful thing did your parents do? Again, the Pharisees say to him, you were seeped in sin from your birth. He's been living under that his whole life. And now that's been lifted off of him by Jesus, right? The shame, right? The lies that he has lived under have been lifted off of him. And he knows a freedom, right? I'm not defined by my sin. I don't have to live in that anymore. I'm not defined, right, by my disability. I actually have been given new life, right? The Messiah, the one who came directly from God, saw me and healed me and knows me and has called me to faith in him. When we look at the freedom of the blind man, I mean, again, being kicked out of the synagogue, that's a significant loss, right? To be cast out, right? I mean, even that language is strong, cast out. And yet the blind man, right? I mean, he, he doesn't seem too upset about it. And that's not because it's not a significant loss that he experienced. It's because he's come to know Jesus, right? He has new life in Christ, right? Any loss pales in comparison to that. Again, when we look at the blind man, we say, well, yeah, of course he's full of joy, right? Of course he's, you know, full of life and freedom, right? I mean, his eyes were opened, right? The shame has been lifted off of him. And that's where we can say, but that's our story too. Again, that's what Jesus is saying to the crowds, what he's saying to us is, I didn't just come for the blind man, I came for you. And whatever shame, right, leads you to feel lack of freedom, actually, I've come against that and I've lifted that off of you, right? Whatever, again, fears that you face, I've come against those because I've given you eternal life. Life, again, that begins now and lasts through all eternity. There's a freedom, right? If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and he will go in and out and find pasture. We know, right, from Psalm 23, that knowing Jesus as our shepherd doesn't mean that we may not go through the valley of the shadow of death, right? It's actually right there. Though I walk, right, it's assumed at times I will walk through difficult places, Knowing Jesus as shepherd doesn't mean that we don't face difficulties and trials, but it means, right, he is with us no matter what. No matter what, we have that abundant life under his leadership. And so there's a promise there, the invitation. So again, as we hear this teaching from the place of the the crowds and we put ourselves in their um, sort of position and imagine hearing this, the question I would encourage you to ask is, am I living in that freedom? And if not, to ask the shepherd, shepherd, help me see in new ways the freedom. Help me to know the freedom from shame, that the blind men know that I can know too. Help me to know the abundant life. What are the things that I'm afraid of, that actually knowing this truth, knowing you as the gate comes against that fear, that I can live actually in that freedom rather than the fear. So again, that's what we can imagine the crowds hearing, hopefully embracing. What about the Pharisees? What's the message for them? It's a pretty strong message. One that I'm guessing that they probably weren't embracing. Basically, the message is you're thieves and robbers. Are you actually, your work is stealing and killing and bringing destruction? Harsh words, right? And Jesus, again, right before that has said, look, it'd be better if you were blind, actually. But the fact that you think you can see, that's the problem. Now, how are they thieves? Right, well, again, the vision that Jesus is giving for the thieves are those who deny the gate, right? Who basically say, you don't need to use the gate, you can go in any way. Saying those who climb in another way, those who do not honor the gate, they're thieves and robbers, which clearly, right, the Pharisees have done. They have not honored Jesus. He heals a man born blind, and all they can do is talk about that he must be a sinner, right? They've seen the power of God at work. And how is this destructive? How does this steal and kill and destroy? All right, well, we don't need to go any farther than the blind man's parents as a clear example of that. Right, their son has been given sight. Right, again, the shame that they've probably felt is his parents should be lifted off of them, right? They should be celebrating, right? Jesus has come, the Messiah has come. He's, he, we see his power and that he's set our, our son free from blindness. Our, our son has put his faith in him and we can too. But that's the invitation for these parents, joy, right? Freedom. And what happens, right? They're scared because the religious leaders, the Pharisees have threatened them. They've stolen from them that joy of the Lord. They've stolen from them that receiving of salvation. In case you're wondering like, man, Jesus is a little harsh here. We got to see, right? He's not being harsh at all. He's just naming. This is what you're doing is you are accusing me of sin. You're turning people away from the way of salvation, the only way of salvation. The Pharisees are blind to this. Now, why are they blind to it, right? Why do they not like Jesus? Well, the specific reason we're given is because he healed on the Sabbath. We know from reading the scriptures, it's much more than that, right? They don't like his message of freedom. They don't like that he has words of correction for them, right? They don't like that the crowds actually listen to him and care for him, right? At the heart of it, right, is they don't like actually that he points out the ways in which they're in the wrong. Now, we know, right? I mean, the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the time, their original motivation, right? The original reason they, they hold so quickly, so strongly to the law. The reason they're so upset that anyone dare even um, come close to breaking the Sabbath. And we should know there's nothing in the scriptures that says a person cannot be healed on the Sabbath. Actually, as Jesus points out, there's scriptures that allow for caring for animals on the Sabbath. And so it doesn't seem a stretch to say it's right to care for people. Right? But again, the reason they became so focused on things like Sabbath breaking is because they didn't want to make the mistakes that their foreparents had made. There was good motivation there. Right? As we read the scriptures, we see the people of Israel, we see the religious leaders of Israel continually turning away from the Lord and going after false idols and going after false gods. And so we can imagine these religious leaders saying, we will not let that happen, right? Under our leadership, under our watch, we will not let the nation wander away and go after false gods, right? We will hold fast to God's law. We will make sure, right, in everything we do, we are keeping people in line. So we don't, again, go back to Babylon, that we don't give in again to idolatry. And so there was good motivation there. But what did it become? Well, they had basically separated one type of idolatry for another. So again, the idolatry of going after false gods have been separated by an idolatry of their own righteousness that it became all about, we will show that we are righteous. We have to protect our own righteousness. We have to show that we are in the right no matter what. So much so, right, that a miracle happens and all they can think is, how do we correct to this person who committed this miracle? I mean, it's heartbreaking. You think, how could that possibly happen? But that's what happens. Well, it's all about us being right all about showing our righteousness no matter what, that they're actually blind, that they're actually thieves and robbers when they're saying they want to serve God and honor God. But clearly it had no longer been about honoring God. It was about themselves. It was about showing their own righteousness and making sure everyone knew how righteous they were, making sure that they, everyone knew that they were the ones in charge of keeping people in line. So as we think about, about Jesus' strong words here, again, and place ourselves in the, in the position of the Pharisees. My encouragement would be to say, right, where do I need to see my own blindness? Where perhaps out of good motivations, out of originally wanting to do the right thing, have I become so sure of my own righteousness, so sure that I am right, that I'm actually missing out on a word of correction from the shepherd. I'm actually missing out on ways perhaps that I'm actually stealing and killing and destroying because I'm so sure that I'm in the right. right? First and foremost, right, we should see ourselves as sheep. Now I believe we should also see ourselves as shepherds, which I'll say something about in just a, a second here. But first and foremost, we begin from that point of view of we're sheep. Right? We need a shepherd. We need our eyes to be open. We're blind. right? And we need someone to help us see our blindness. And so when we come to the word of God, right, when we come together as a community, We come with great humility. This is a little Lenten, I realize. I know we're in Easter, but we can't get away from the fact, right, that in the Pharisees we see a little bit of ourselves, sometimes our own sureness of our own righteousness. But again, we have a shepherd who tells us, look, it's better if you recognize your blindness, actually. That's the beginning of healing. That's good news to say, yeah, I'm blind, and I need the help of the shepherd to see. I need the door. I need the abundant life that he offers. So let us hear in this uh, an invitation to humility, an invitation to say, Lord, where I am so sure in my righteousness, humble me, help me to see, right, that I need your righteousness. Help me to see any ways that I'm not honoring the door and pointing to the door is the only way of salvation. Any ways that perhaps I've become too impressed by myself. But then we have the disciples, right, who hopefully are hearing in this what the crowd's heard. What they've heard before, what they'll hear again, that in Jesus is the only way of salvation that he came to bring life, right? Hopefully they're also hearing what the Pharisees should have heard, that they need help, that they can be blind, right? The disciples have their own moments where they need their blindness um, um, opened and their eyes and be able to see. But also I believe for the the disciples and for us, they're also hearing, you can be shepherds. Jesus is... um, words there in verse two, but he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. Um, In the original Greek, actually, there's no the there. There's not the definite article. Most translations I looked at include the the, and I think they're wanting to honor. Obviously, Jesus is speaking of himself as the shepherd of the sheep, um, but it's actually the one who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. So I believe Jesus is, again, speaking of himself, but he's also saying, look, when you enter by the door, when you come and honor me, right, and, and receive life in my name and my life through me, then you're called to be a shepherd. That's really clear, right? I mean, the, the Great Commission, he says, go and make disciples. You who have received me as the good shepherd are also called to shepherd others. He's made that clear to the disciples, right? He sent them out to do ministry already, right? They're learning, we're called to be shepherds. Shepherds under the good shepherd, right, submitted to him, but called to shepherd others as he shepherds. And so they're hearing in this, this is what it looks like to shepherd under the shepherd Jesus, to shepherd in his name. And what does it look like? First and foremost, it looks like to make clear who the door is, to make clear that the way of salvation is Jesus. Jesus is the shepherd who points to himself and says, I am the way of salvation. We are shepherds who point to Jesus and say, it's only through him that you can be saved. Only in him is there new life. That's what he's making clear. This is what you're to do as shepherds, right? It's easy and simple point to me. And again, once again, who models this for us? Well, I mean, obviously Jesus models, but who else? The blind man. That's what's so great about that story of the blind man. He's shepherding people, even as he's being persecuted, even as he's being, you know, told that he should be full of shame. He's he's evangelizing the the Pharisees. It's a great moment where he says, look, do you want to be his disciples? Sometimes I think we read that like he's kind of mocking them, and maybe he is a little bit, but I also think he's saying, you can come to know him. You can know the freedom in him. That's what it looks like, right? To be a disciple of Jesus is to be one who calls others to follow him and to know him as a shepherd, right? The, 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 the blind man, even as he's thrown out, is looking for opportunities to, to model who Jesus is, right? He worships him publicly in front of the crowds that they may see, right? That this is the one who's deserving of worship. So what do shepherds do? Again, they point to the door and they care for the sheep, Again, we see Jesus in this um, account from John 9, right? Others talk about the blind man. You keep seeing people talking about him. Jesus goes to him, right? The disciples would have been fine speculating about the blind man, but Jesus goes and heals him, right? And then later when he's thrown out of the synagogue, right? Jesus finds him and goes to him and says, do you want to know the son of man? And that's what shepherds do, right? We go to people. We initiate, right? We recognize the value of each person, right? We recognize the good of their name and them knowing and being called by name, right? The Pharisees have sort of treated people as like these, you know, you know, vast, you know, unnamed masses. But we see Jesus honoring the individual, honoring the unique person. And this is what his shepherds are called to do. This is what the disciples could see. Oh, this is what we're called to do. And we see them doing that in the book of Acts and in church history, right? Honoring each person, honoring those Actually, who society says are beyond worth and not worthy of honor. But that's what the church has done. I said, We shepherd like Jesus shepherds, calling people by name and loving them and going to them. I had an opportunity, as many of you know, the last couple of weeks, um, Molly and I, my wife and I, um, to, to travel to visit some of the uh, missionaries that Church of the Cross um, supports and to go to a gathering. And I saw um, in these um, travels, right, very specifically, Ways in which right, people are seeking to shepherd as Jesus shepherds, seeking to imitate him in their shepherding. Uh, The GAFCON gathering um, that we were at in Kigali, Rwanda, GAFCON stands for Global Anglican Future Conference. I know it's kind of a weird sounding word. We've gotten used to it. Uh, People are like, is that like an airline or something? What's GAFCON? Uh, But again, it's a conference. This was actually the fourth conference. um, And actually had um, representatives from 52 different countries, which I was uh, amazed by. I had no idea it was that uh, diverse when I was um, going to it. And again, Anglican leaders from all over the country. And in this conference, there was both a lot of excitement, as you would imagine, and um, excitement about how God is at work and the new things that God is doing. But there was also a level of heaviness. There was a level of sadness, actually, at the conference. I um, and they were actually connected. Because God is doing amazing things. And one thing that GAFCON has done, this movement of Anglican leaders have done is to support um, Anglican churches and Anglican works in areas where the traditional sort of Anglican body um, in that country, in that area has moved away from trust in the Bible, has moved away from affirming that Jesus is the only way of salvation. It was actually the original Gafcon gathering 15 years ago where um, basically the leaders there said there needs to be a new province in North America and commissioned the beginning of the Anglican church in North America, which we're a part of. Again, because the traditional province, the traditional Anglican work in the United States, the Episcopal Church had moved farther and farther away from the teachings of scripture and from upholding Jesus as the only way. And since that time, there've been another number of sort of new movements, new Anglican work started in Europe and England and New Zealand and Brazil. And so there was great celebration about that and excitement about the new things and the church plane that's happening. Again, the new structuring. But again, it comes from the fact that there are those who are now acting as thieves and robbers, those who have been part of our Anglican tradition, who are saying there is another way. And again, that sounds harsh to call them thieves and robbers, but it's what Jesus says. Right? If you're coming in another way, if you're saying that Jesus is not the only way, that he is not the gate, you're killing and destroying. You're pointing to another way of salvation than Jesus, right? And that is the way of death. And again, there was a heaviness and a sadness and that this rich heritage of who we are so thankful for is divided and it is broken. I think there was a real desire. We don't want to be Pharisees. We don't want to be so clear on our own righteousness. And yet we have to take the teachings of scriptures and the words of Jesus seriously and say, if fear is up, up, being upheld another way than Jesus, then we have to say, no, and we cannot follow. i in that direction. We can only follow the way that Jesus, our shepherd, leads So we saw, again, that call for the shepherds to point to the door. We saw that broadly, and I also thought of that very individually. It's a man named um, Daniel who actually um, joined in our um, uh, sort of group, our delegates um, from uh, uh, upper um, Midwest because there are connections actually we have in um, Iraq um, and work that's being done there that we are um, connected to. Daniel is an Iraqi um, believer in Jesus. He uh, grew up a uh, Muslim, came to faith in Jesus a few years ago and an amazing testimony that I, I can't um, share this morning, but I um, hope to share in some future time. Um, But Daniel, again, was amazed to be there in Kigali with all these Christians. He's not used to being surrounded by um, thousands of other um, Christians. And yet, the primary way he spent his time during those five days of the conference, in addition to being in the conference, was sharing his faith with people who worked at the hotel um, next door. Uh, He doesn't speak English, so he used a translator, Google Translate, and he would have conversations with the the wait staff and with the people who served there, a number of whom are Muslim, um, and share Jesus with them. And again, I just thought, man, all he wants to do is tell people about Jesus, right? He's met the door, right? He's met the way of salvation. He's met the the source of abundant life and um, any opportunity he had. So the final night when the conference was over, we went to a church service in Kigali, And um, Daniel brings one of the workers from the hotel with him, who puts his faith in Jesus at the end of that church service. So that's, again, an inspiration for me and uh, quite honestly, a, 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 a light On the the passion that I I pray the Lord would renew in me that I saw in Daniel, but we also again saw shepherds that are going to the sheep and initiating and asking the Lord to help them see those sheep that are lost. Again, we've um, hopefully you've gotten to know um, Andrew Larson and his ministry, especially that was the focus of our our Good Friday offering. Uh, Molly and I had an opportunity to be with um, Andrew and his team in um, Greece. He serves there in Athens working uh, with um, those who have been caught up in trafficking men and women, helping them, serving them, and ultimately the goal of the ministry Andrew and his team uh, work for is to get people out of the world of trafficking to help set them free. It's, it's, it's dangerous work. I didn't get a sense for how dangerous it is until we were there walking around um, in the area where the brothels are in Athens and just seeing, um, uh, again, the danger and seeing all the traffickers. Right, we would go by coffee shops and Andrew would say, Everyone in there is a trafficker. Everyone in there is involved in trafficking in some way and making money um, from it, right? And they do not like what we're doing here, and yet we're doing it. And again, seeing that work, I just thought, where else should God's people be, right, than here, right? And then this area in Athens, right? This is the work of the Lord. This is what the good shepherd does. He calls people by name, um, those who are the least of these, those who are caught up. We saw that as well in Tanzania, Many of you um, know Steve and Jody Swanson who were part of Church of the Cross before moving to Tanzania. And again, they've been there 10 years. And we were able to see the fruit of their ministry, able to see um, two NICUs that have been started in two different hospitals in Arusha. I'm caring, again, for um, babies born premature. We heard stories about other hospitals throughout Tanzania will send children to these two hospitals because they have the resources that other hospitals don't. They have doctors who Steve and Jody have trained up and invested in we're able to call, able to offer services that, again, nowhere else in Tanzania is being offered. We're able to see a number of uh, previously malnourished children who are now doing well and are recovering and um, really coming back to life because of Steve and Jody's work. And again, it's because they initiated, right? They responded to the Great Shepherd and went. So, however, the Lord's calling you to shepherd. I realize I can share those, share those stories and it can make us feel like, well, what differences what I do make? But it does. The Lord has callings for each one of you. There's ways in which he's called you to shepherd. So my encouragement is we submit to the good shepherd as we hear him call our name, as we celebrate that he has made known the way of salvation. May, I ask him, may, may we continue to ask him, Lord, where are you calling me to shepherd? Who can I reach out to? Who can I share about the, the way of salvation with? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your servants, for those who um, uphold um, you as the way, the truth, and the life. Lord, we thank you that in you we can know new life, we can know freedom. Thank you, Lord, that we can know hope. And I pray, Lord, for each one here that you would show us who we call to shepherd, Lord, our our children, our family, those we work with, those perhaps that we can support financially. But Lord, open our eyes. Continue to open our eyes that, again, we may see our own need, but we also may see the ways in which you're calling us to, Through you, meet the needs of others. And we ask all this in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.
0: Please stand. Join me on page nine in your bulletin. Together, we're going to proclaim our faith using the Nicene Creed.